Welcome to Word of Truth. Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is um, 10-31-2021, and we're continuing our uh, service where we left off. We're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, and here we have the thought of the week, which is in regard to the purpose for the nation Israel. The law declared that God called a nation. That nation was to be unique in that it would speak to the world for God. All the important things could be taught to the world through this nation was to convey the message in ways that could be understood by all. Israel was supposed to be the image of the invisible God to the nation. Their law which drove their culture, spoke of God and his distinctiveness. The Jewish nation was not to be like all the other nations. God called them to be different, and those differences would speak of aspects of God and his salvation. Israel taught all the doctrines of soteriology through the law and their cultural distinction. They were to teach God holiness, righteousness, justice, mercy, and and only way of being reconciled. Reaching Gentile nations was the missionary ground for Israel. Instead of pointing the nations to a God who loved them and called the nation to reach them, they developed an arrogance of separatism. They taught their unique distinctions as requirements for salvation. In their view, all the Gentiles would have would have had to convert to Judaism to have a relationship with God. They would have they would have all had to be circumcised and obey the Mosaic law. <clears throat> Peter spoke up and directly pointed out that since the law had been a yoke upon their neck, why should they put the Gentiles through this unreasonable requirement? Instead of the law being a blessing to the world, it became a barrier of separation between Jew and Gentile. The purpose was distorted by arrogance, and the result was hostility. Well, I I think we can my thought on the comment on that thought of the week is that um i praise him that that is my default to go back to ephesians 2 and look at how god worked things out to destroy that wall of hostility between jew and gentile um but more than that on a on a more um, you know straightforward level it speaks of purpose israel distorted their purpose and instead they became arrogant and the result was hostility and in a lot of ways we see the same thing happening with religious organizations um, called churches or christian churches or something Um, they are pointing out the distinctions about themselves and saying we are the ones who have the right answer and yet in ephesians 4 we see that god gave gifts um, of the apostles, prophets, and um, evangelists and parents, uh, pastor teachers for the purpose of bringing everybody um, to the same understanding. One God, one baptism, 
one savior for all. And, and yet we have distinctions and, and separation. Um, so I think we, it, it caused, this thought of the week causes me to look at myself. And what is my purpose? Is my purpose aligned with God's purpose? Um, how can I be sure of that? And am I depending on God's word for clarity in that regard? So I think it, um, I think it really matters to understand what God's purpose is and then to align to that purpose rather than trying to discern what I think is a good idea for this world. And that's the thought of the week, and I'll turn it over to Fred for prayer. Thank you, Dwight. Uh, at this time, uh, I'm asking uh, for anyone who is in need of prayer themselves or their families. Well, I can just think. Uh, we're going to can... pray for uh, uh, Gentry. She came down with uh, MS, multiple sclerosis, and she was in a vision. There were people to walk. We're going to hold her up in prayer. Yes, certainly. We just add the Haddon family sorry. as well. I'm sorry. The Haddon family and Mike's family okay. as well. So at this time, let us go before the throne of grace and ask the Lord to prepare in prayer. Heavenly Sovereign Father, thankful and grateful, Lord, for this opportunity of worship, the opportunity you have availed us to come and be exposed to truth as written in your word. Thankful, Lord, for keeping us and preserving us our health Lord, asking special prayer, Lord, for Gentry, who you know her problem, Lord, and we're asking that you would come by and see about her, her and her family, and attend to her needs as you know them. Also, Lord, asking for prayer for uh, our brother Michael and his family, and uh, you know what they also are going through. In addition, Lord, we're praying for our brother-in-law, Kenneth, who is still in the hospital, Lord, again, um, asking that you would continue, Lord, to be with Gail and Kenny and the Haddon family. Thank you, Lord, for all these blessings. And uh, Lord, praying that you would continue, Lord, to to avail us to your spirit of truth, that it may be important to us as we look away from all our previous religious training and rely only on what the word of God says, Lord, that that might be preeminent in our lives and it might order our lives and our steps. Again, praying, Lord, for our church, the word is truth, and it's, it's pastor that he would continue along the spirit of truth. Um, as our Lord Jesus Christ has said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Again, we're thankful, Lord, for this opportunity. Uh, bless him, 
our pastor as he delivers this message, asking these prayers in Christ's loving and holy name. Amen. 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 Thank you as well. Appreciate you, uh, Dwight, as well as uh, his comments and thought of the week, as well as uh, your prayers. And thank you all for having uh, a part of what we do in Word is Truth Christian Church. We're continuing where we left off uh, with the review of John chapter 16. And we did cover probably half of this last week. We'll review some of it, but then we will push on. I think we should have a good chance of finishing the review today. So you should have notes. In your notes, as we move through this chapter, we have come to the end of the discourse. It is a good reminder to review the things Jesus covered and how they relate to our walk with the spirit of truth today. We should continue to see the critical nature of these verses and how the disciples survived under tremendous pressure. It is a story of great highs and lows for this small band of Jews. Of course, it was ultimately a successful story since I am here today in Christ, reviewing the record. The church was born and God's eternal purpose marches on. So we, John chapter 16, again, another pivotal, pivotal chapter. I think as we look at and review some of the things there, especially the coming of the Spirit, uh, anticipation of what he would do, what kind of work, how it would affect us, uh, much, much uh, of, of it is pertinent reading for us today. We should have this as prominent in our theology so that it is not only does Jesus say these things, but it helps us to understand what his purpose and direction is for the church. So we're, we're going right to the notes. We're in John chapter 16. We already covered point number one, two, and three, but I'm going to land in three to review quickly some, because uh, this is most important, this part in three. Uh, we'll, we'll redo some of this just to kind of set the stage for the rest of the last three points, four, five, and six. So in three, it says Jesus continues to speak through the Spirit as he has much more to say. And I say, are you listening? And I would hope we are listening to what the Spirit says. Uh, in fact, that is one of the common phrases he who has eyes to see, let him see. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I hope we're listening and not listening to uh, Israel or some other traditional uh, modification of Israel that churches have come up with. But we are listening to the Spirit of truth. And point B, what is truth? And we know this church was founded on this particular verse, John 17, 17, sanctify them by the Spirit. 
Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Sanctify them by the truth. Your spirit, your word is truth. So this is important to us as we think about John 17, 17 and how we try to hold this verse up as important to us. That the word of God is more important than anything uh, that we have. It's more important our, than our experience. It's more important than our suppositions, our ideas, our opinions, our religious training, our uh, way of thinking, uh, our emotions. Uh, it, it is the word of God that dictates to us the reality of God. And if you want to know what God is thinking, then you have to follow what the spirit of truth is teaching us in the word of God. I think it's it's not about dreams and visions that you had or someone else had and, and now that becomes more important than anything else. No, it's the word of God that teaches us that all of this has been, has been reduced to writing for us. It's reduced to writing with God giving us supernatural means in order for us to comprehend it. We have spirit of truth and we have pastors and teachers that have gifts given by the spirit of truth to help us understand this information then point c all the truth this is, these are critical verses that we covered in john 16 12 through 15 which says i have much more to say to you more than you can now bear but when he the spirit of truth comes he will guide you we can almost quote these verses without even looking at the Bible, hopefully that is where you are right now. Because we've covered them in such great detail. And so, and I'd say, I'd say that speaks of how important they are uh, to us and, and our foundational way of thinking. So, uh, all the truth is the revelation of the mystery. Now, when Jesus says, I've, you know, the Holy Spirit will lead and guide you into all the truth. Well, all the truth is the revelation of the mystery. And I, I, I'm, I'm stressing that you focus on the link between what Jesus said and the revelation of the mystery, which was hidden from ages past and generations, but it is now revealed through God's uh, holy apostles and prophets. So that's Ephesians 3. And then we already know 1 Corinthians 2, 9, and 10, which talks about uh, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. But these things are revealed by means of the Spirit. Right? The Spirit is he's, has revealed these things to us. This is not inscrutable, information that can never be dug out. God has given it to us. Information, I would say, is, wasn't revealed in the Old Testament. New information. We need to really see this as important. Point D, critical defining words about the new dispensation to come at Pentecost. And that's what this, this section is telling us. And I say critical. I wish I had, I could have used other words to describe it as well, because it's important, it's pivotal, it's dispensational, it's critical, hopefully will capture you 
uh, your mind and attention to say that I need to sit up in my chair when it comes to this information that Paul and others in the New Testament will be bringing. It is information we can't just push aside or uh, gloss over it. It defines us. It would be like Israel saying when the law came and all that smoke and mountains and thunder and lightning, uh, it's not important. We could keep doing what we want if we want, or we could listen to some of that. That's fine too, but uh, no, it's critical. It defines us. If we're not willing to pay attention to it, there's going to be consequences, certainly. Point E, does the Christian world link what Jesus said to to what happened at Pentecost and what is currently happening? And my answer to that is uh, no, they don't. And I, you can answer that for yourself. You could. You could. I would wonder what your answer is to that question. And um, that is important for us when we think about um, uh, how, what impact we have in this world today. When we talk about the things we're talking about, are others linking that to what Jesus said about what's coming and then what's here? Uh, and we got churches that are dedicated to Pentecost. I mean, there, there are Pentecostals. You know? I remember when we used to listen to a lot of ministries and ministers, they would be, open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 2, and this is where they would preach from. And talk about what happened and the gifts that happened and all that. And it was foundational for them. But did they really see what was going on there? Or did they only see it from their perspective? Not from Christ telling us, here's what is to come. Let me tell you what he's going to do. Let me tell you what, what this information is all about. That link needs to be made. If it's not made by them, we need to make it. Make sure they understand that this information was not given to Israel and so forth and so on. So much tells us. Point F, our way of life and distinctive purpose is defined by Jesus through the spirit of truth. Yeah, that's what it tells us. It, unless we make sure that we have that information, we're not going to have the Christian way. We're not going to be able to live the Christian way of life if we reject what the spirit of truth is trying to teach us. It's distinctive, our life. Israel was of this world. We are not of this world. We're pilgrims and strangers. We need to understand what our way of life is. It's distinct and defined as well. Point F, our way of... Well, I already covered that. Point G, Jesus, the spirit of truth. Who is really speaking to us? And this is just a play on words. So when we say Jesus, the spirit of truth, which one? Well, it talks about the spirit of truth teaching, but remember, he says, I'm not going to talk about myself. It's not about bringing glory to me. So whoever I am is supposed to, supposed to accentuate who Jesus is because it's him I'm glorifying. That's the spirit of truth's job. So who's really speaking to us? Jesus is speaking to us. Just like he says, I have much more to say to you. Well, he's telling us what that is through the spirit of truth. And he, he, he's telling the disciples, and by way of them, he's telling us 
point G. Jesus. Uh, well, we already covered that. I'm sorry here. Let's make sure we move along because we have much more to cover. Then point H, Jesus the Father. Okay, who is really speaking to us? Now, again, this one gets a little tricky because a person might say, hmm, I see the pattern here. It's I'm going to say it's the Father who's really speaking, right? But really, it's still Jesus because everything that the Father has has been given to Jesus. That's the point. So really, the information we are getting comes from the Father, yes, but it is really it comes through the through Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. And uh, there is a verse in 1 Corinthians 16 that says we have the mind of Christ. We are being transformed into his image. That's 2 Corinthians 3. Point I, this pivotal, destiny-altering, defining information is revealed to us. And that's John 17, 20. That's what I just covered he says, I'm not just talking to you disciples, but to those who believe on me through their message. So that would include us, that all of us may be one. So we're one body. Uh, when we think about who we are in the church, we're one. And that's pivotal. That's destiny altering. So whatever you were, now for us, for Gentiles, it's like, okay, uh, I can get on board with that. But for Jews... It was something completely altering. I mean, that was their culture to be raised a certain way. And uh, and then all of a sudden, God is saying, no, you're not under the Mosaic Law anymore. It's destiny altering. Really, it's destiny, destiny altering and defining information for Gentiles, too. It's just that uh, we don't have as much to unlearn as the Jews did. Uh, I don't know if that's fair to say. But either way, we both come from a position of coming to surmount this huge amount of information that is available to us. Point J, the five ministries of the Spirit, baptism, indwelling, filling, sealing, and gifting. We uh, have talked about this, and really, I say review, I don't know how much we spent, on, how much time we spent on this last week, but we can't spend uh, an enormous amount of time on it. Hopefully, you have covered this as well and there's much spoken in the past about this and for each one of these things they are distinct for those in this age no person in any age has ever had any of these things that were given at pentecost to the church that includes the baptism of the spirit never existed unprecedented the indwelling of god the holy spirit causing us to be a temple the temple of god never before happened ever the filling of the spirit which is god's influence of the holy spirit to fulfill the father's purpose never before happened couldn't have because the purpose wasn't revealed so how could we be have the filling of the spirit it just did not exist the sealing of the spirit which is the deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Obviously, that is super, uh, uh, definitely unique to those in this age because it deals with our inheritance, not Israel's inheritance, our inheritance. And God has given us a taste, as the song says, a foretaste of glory divine. We have that in the deposit, but he says, 
until the redemption of God's purchased possession to the praise of his glory. That's in Ephesians 1. So, and then gifting. The gifting here is unique because the gifts that are spoken of uh, are for the purpose and common good of the church. Not the common good of Israel, not the common good of uh, Israel in the tribulation or uh, millennial saints. This is only for the purpose of those who are predestined according to uh, be conformed to the image of his son. It is unique. So those five things that happen for us are unique. And I didn't even spend enough time on the baptism of the Spirit, which identifies us with the person of Christ. It makes us one with him. Uh, just like we are born in Adam, we were born one with him. But now we are literally born again in Christ. And it identifies us with the person of Christ, not only in uh, everything, but his destiny, his rewards, his, his life, uh, you know, the uniqueness of his proximity to the Father, all of that is brought to us. We are those many sons that are being brought into glory through Christ. Anyway, there's much more that could be said about those five things. I hope you are familiar with them at least, or if not, that you are willing to uh, undertake and ask questions about them so that you can be more familiar with this information. It is critical to who you are. Point K. As the apostle said, we have what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. That's 1 Corinthians 2, 12, and 13. Important words that speak of not only what God brought us, but how we turn that around and become advocates of this wisdom that has been given to us. We, we now receive it, believe it, and love it, and are able to speak it, says the Apostle Paul. So now we're moving into John chapter 4. We're going into the next section, which is John uh, 16 and 22. So let, let me turn there. John 16. And so the verses in question are 16 through 22. So John 16, 16 says, and I'm just going to read it so that you can, and then we'll talk about it through the points of review. Jesus went on to say, this is, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. They kept asking what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you still ask are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me and see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? 
Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. So that section, I think a lot of it is rep re repetitive, but it is uh, telling a story. There's a context to it. So let's look at some of the points. There's only five of them here, so let's dig in. And point number four in our notes, the disciples were already emotional at the thought of losing Jesus. And we know that from John 14, 1 through 3, where Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. In other words, I recognize you are upset. And also in 16, 6, where he, all the way from John 14, but even now, he says in 6, Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. So the disciples were upset. I don't need to say it. It's already said in, in the word of God here. And they certainly were not prepared for what was ahead. That's clear. I mean, if they were grappling with Jesus going away and him coming back and then Pentecost and all the things that Jesus mentioned, yeah, it could be a bit confusing. And what does he mean you're, going to, you're not going to see me anymore? But then you are going to see me. Well, well, there's a lot there that needs to be understood. And what Jesus, the metaphor what, of what he is saying needs to be clarified. And Jesus does clarify it. He does. And point B, in a little while. And then after a little while. So what does he mean here? Death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, we covered this in good detail, hopefully. Uh, if not, you can go through and look at the notes for yourself to see uh, some of the finer points that we made when it comes to this in a little while and then after a little while. Point C, the confusion and the confirming analogies, you know, weep and mourn and joy and a woman giving birth, right? That. That's where the confusion lies. But guess what? We're giving we're given a pretty stable and consistent information about how to interpret what Jesus meant when he's saying in a little while. And the disciples, I could understand they're not under. First of all, they didn't want to believe that Jesus is going away. They didn't want to believe it. And even though Jesus told them this information, I mean, it's not like they never heard it before, but even though they heard it before, it was sort of pushed back in the back of their minds because they didn't want to deal with it. They, don't, they didn't like it. They didn't like that information. Literally, it's like things in the Bible that's there. Those things are there, but we don't quite understand them, so we kind of push them aside. We'll get to that by and by, but it's not really in our thinking. Point D in our notes. A time of grief and joy, and that was for sure. I mean, we see that played out. So Jesus told them about it, but they didn't see it. Now, 
Matthew 16, 21. These are some of the places, if you want to follow these verses, where Jesus did tell them about it. Matthew 16, I'm going to turn to a couple of them, which we have read. And um, I would say, even though we covered some of these things in the notes, you might have more verses regarding these points than we did in the notes. Who's to say? I didn't actually compare them um, point by point. So 1621 says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, obviously, Peter took him aside. He didn't like what he said. In fact, he was upset by what he said. And he began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. That's what Peter said to the Lord. I mean, and uh, Jesus is trying to expand their theology. Peter is rejecting the ideas. No, 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 that's certainly not going to happen. And then Luke 18, 31 through 34. Let's see what that one gives us. Luke 18 and 31 through 34 says, Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples, listen, the disciples did not any, understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. Now, it's not hidden from them on purpose. It's because of their preconditioned religious training and theology that they had about what, who the Messiah was and what, what the Messiah would do. Jesus was trying to help them by expanding their thinking, they were trying to limit what Jesus was saying by their religious traditions and understanding. Well, Jesus, I mean, what was it not to understand? I mean, it's not like their ears were covered when Jesus said this. He told them. He, he, he took the twelve aside and told them. This is verse 31. And he's, this is what's going to happen next. We're going to do this. We're going up to Jerusalem. This is what's going to happen. They're going to mock, kill me, spit on me, insult me, but and kill me and flog me and kill me. And on the third day, he will rise again. He, he just laid it out. What is not to understand about that? Well, it's not in their theology. God can speak to us directly, and we could just slough it off. We could just, okay, God, you said that, but <laughs> I don't believe it that way. I don't, it doesn't mean that to me. We have to make sure we're approaching God with the proper humility by allowing him to say what he wants to say to us. I mean, the only way we can communicate as human beings together is that we talk and listen to one another. We don't assume that whatever the person's saying is inconsequential or not important. We have to hear him out. And here is God talking to us. We do the same thing to him. We just... Relegate. We look at the person up and down and we say, yeah, that person doesn't have anything to tell me. What can they say to me? 
And whatever they say is just sort of disregarded or put in a place where, yeah, this person said it, so it's not important. But, but then we allow that same thinking to be in us when we hear from God. God said that. But it really, God doesn't really know how things are going to go. This is not, doesn't make sense, God, that that would happen. So no. That's what Peter did. And they went on the emotional roller coaster. That's point E. I know I'm going to turn, if you turn to John 2, well, I'll go to John 2, 19 through 21, just to round it out here. I think we have the time. John 2, 19 says, Jesus answered them. This is what he says, destroy this temple. And he's talking about his body. And that's what they were intent on doing. And I will raise it again in three days. Yeah. Just, he's literally saying what would happen. And without the understanding of how did they understand it? Let's see. They replied. It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. Now, I can understand that the people uh, who didn't understand, who were not following Jesus, right? they, they rejected what he was saying anyway. But notice, you have... Jesus is saying this was going to happen, even right here. But they related it to the temple, not the body temple. That's clear. So that's that's a point to make. And sure enough, what happened was a, an emotional roller coaster for those guys. That's what that's what eventually happened. And that's point E. The timing of it all. The emotional roller coaster would happen before Pentecost, but the, the fullness of the discourse would not be realized until after Pentecost. So just notice, Jesus may have been talking about the, the most important events that were to happen for the disciples. And truly, I can understand them getting some of them, those items confused. In other words, the death, the burial, the resurrection, you know, you, you, should, you should go, you'll have tremendous grief and anguish, but then it will all be turned to joy, and you'll be happy to see me. In a little while, I'm going to go away, but then in a little while, you will see me again. All of that language is also couched in when the Spirit comes, he will do this. When the Spirit comes, on that day, you will know this and that. So there's a whole nother conversation that Jesus is revealing about what happens when he leaves, the process begins. You know, these things are going to happen, and this is the order. And the disciples were to get the timing of it. It would help them. It would comfort them to know what was going to happen. That's important. I mean, if, if we know what's happening, it is a comfort to us. Eventually, it's not just random things happening and anxiety being created in us. It is knowledge. We could say, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. The Lord told us in the Word that's how it was going to be. And this is exactly what he said. And we can take comfort in the fact that this is going according to God's will. People can know that. So then, point number five in our notes 
This is John chapter 16, 23 through 28. Jesus will continue to speak after Pentecost. Let me just go to John 16, 23 through 28. Let's look at that, that section of scripture. Here it is. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming... Oh, wait a minute. Did I cross over into... Uh, oh, no, it goes to 28. So, though I have speak, been speaking figur figuratively to you, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. So some comments about... Uh, that passage the first one is in that day is reference to pentecost so pentecost and beyond so even now right uh, we can use these words uh, they apply to us in this age many more details will be revealed and jesus says, i have much more to tell you more than you can now bear so that when he says he changes, he shifts, he says in that day, now he's talking about what's going to happen at Pentecost. And really, he's been talking about both things um, for the whole discourse. It's not just one thing. It's just, just this period that the disciples need to be made aware of. And Jesus started with his departure. He's like, I'm, I'm going to leave here. And you, you guys are going to have great, tremendous grief as a result of me leaving, but then you will have joy because I'll come back to you, and then Pentecost will come. So all of that is uh, part of the experience that the disciples had in their becoming the foundation, part of the foundation of the church. And they did. They walked through all of these things that Jesus mentioned, just as Jesus mentioned them. So... And the many more things have been revealed. And we are now uh, dealing with those things as we, uh, from week to week. That's what we're talking about. The deep things of God. The, 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 the information that was hidden and that is revealed for our glory before time began. So point B, transitional language aside, Jesus will be very direct about who and what we are. And this information will be committed to writing in the New Testament. So that, when Jesus is talking about, uh, there'll be much more information for us to have. I mean, we'll know the details. And we know the details. I hope you know that. If you are not aware of the documentation and the knowledge that we have to talk about the things we're talking about, then 
just stay seated where you are because if you keep listening, we've been talking about all the detail. We've mentioned the baptism of the Spirit and all the different gifts. We've mentioned uh, all the writings and the important metaphors, the mystery that Paul uses and other writers of Scripture, how they are interpreting this information and the Spirit is giving us their perspectives. So this has been committed to writing. This is not just somebody coming up to you, I got a word of knowledge, and their eyes are big, and you have to say, well, what, what is it? And they say, well, God told me to tell you to hang in there to have faith or something. you know. And you think, wait a minute, that that's part of the word. So he, why did he, you know, you, you're sitting there wondering, what is this? But we don't, we don't have to go by that. We have the Word of God, and each of us has the Spirit of Truth, the filling of the Spirit, internally leading and guiding us to understand what has been written in this New Testament. It is wonderful. It is glorious about us. All these details that are spoken of, and no more transitional language. You put all that aside. And when we get to the meat of what we are dealing with, it is profound. It is a, a lot, first of all, for us to understand. And the Bible even talks about it, that he's speaking to those who are mature. Yeah, it's going to be a matter of growing up in order to get this information, or to fully understand it. I get it. So, But the, the introduction of it, the fact that it exists... It is something for us to aspire to is all there. That's what we ought to make sure we understand. Point C. This is 5C. Our access to the Father will be direct because we will be in Christ. So we should know that we are so identified with the person of Christ that whatever his access is, our, that is our access. I like what Ephesians says, where it talks about the moment we're saved, we are united with the person of Christ. This is Ephesians 2. And seated with him in the heavenly realms. I mean, what right do we have to be seated far above all principalities and powers and every title and might and that could be named in this age and in any previous or, or future age? We are raised, and it just not says above it, far above it. How, who, what right do we have to be in that position? It is God's eternal purpose. That's what we are learning. That's the part of it. So we have access. If you know, we understand that our position in Christ, we are literally face to face with the Father. He loves us. We come to the place where we love him and we see his contribution to all of this even though Christ is our lord he we are in him he is the way that we have come and gained this access it is through him only through him and that gives light to some of the verses that have already been mentioned like when Jesus says uh, uh, we don't know where you're going and, and how do we know Jesus says I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That's not a salvation passage. That's 
a passage that deals with this particular age and the access that we have to the Father in this age. It's not just about, it's not about salvation at all. That's not the context. The context is for believers and how they get to this close proximity to the Father where they are raised up, seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And we have that access. Jesus says, I am the way. Yeah, the only way to get to the Father or have this, this type of access with the Father is through me. There's literally no other way. And that's the truth. This is what Jesus says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, so there you have it. Um, so I, that's our access to the Father. It will be direct for sure because we, we have the same access as the Lord Jesus Christ. Point D, <clears throat> the Father's love is expressed in his choosing them, the disciples and us. So when, when, the father, when it says the Father loves us, it's because that means that he preferred us. He actually chose us. Now, we're not just people who just happen to be <clears throat> in the vicinity of when he was choosing. We are special. The Father saw us from eternity past. And he said, that's the one I want. Uh, not that one. Not that one. But this one I want. And I want this one over here, too. That specific choosing of us. And it, 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 the only thing we can say is he loved us. The scripture, uh, the language that we have is how the Father loved us. How he loved Christ because he chose Christ to have the position that he has as the one through whom we come to the Father in this special relationship. So... Love is used. And then what, what does it say that we understand the call that we have and that we are motivated to fulfill the Father's purpose? We call that love on our part. It's love on his part to, to express his desire in choosing us. It's love on our part to recognize that choosing and to orient or order our steps in this world according to it. It's love. Point E. Their love for Christ is their motivation and commitment to the Father's plan. I just gave you that thought right there in point E. That's how we express, and the disciples as well. Now they understand that you sent me. Now they know that I came from you and that everything you have told me is what, what, what uh, they have heard and acknowledged and they believed. Right. So they acknowledge the Father. Right? It says, if you love me, then you love the Father. That's that's one of the things he was saying here in, in the, the chapter. And so that's where we uh, intersect with the Father is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then do we have love? Yeah, because we're on board. The disciples were on board, and so are we on board. Yeah, so point F in this section, in a nutshell... And I like what Jesus says in verse 28. I came from the Father. Here it is. I came from the Father, entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Pretty simple. And we know that it's simple and straightforward because the disciples are getting, uh, the, in the next verse, acknowledgement 
and understanding. So now we know. Okay, okay. So now we understand. And you're speaking clearly to, plainly to us. Now we get it. Now we understand uh, who you are, what you're doing here, and what you, why you are telling us this information. Okay, we, we get all that now. So we are headed to the last section. In this last section, John chapter 16, 29 through 33. So let's read it first, as we have been doing here. 16, 29 through 33. Then Jesus' Jesus's disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe? Jesus replied. A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered. Each of you, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have come, I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So that's the last section in John chapter 16. Some points about that last section, and then we'll conclude. First one is they understand and are leaning forward for more information. Now, <laughs> so we could question that. We could say, really? Especially from where they came from, <clears throat> a place where they didn't understand. We could question, we could say, mm, did I really get it? Did they, did they understand? I mean, it seems, and, and not only that, especially because they're going to have to go through what we call the emotional roller coaster, the death, the burial, the resurrect. That's directly up in front of them. And Jesus mentions that again. He's like, I'm glad you understand. Yes, you do. You now believe you got it. But listen, I do know this is on. This is in the path here. And I know how you're going to react to it. You will all run. You will leave me. I will be alone. I will have to go to the cross. And you're going to have to come through that in order to get to some of those things that you understand. And let's hope that this is true. Now, Jesus knows it is true because in his prayer, he turns to the Father and he says, yeah, they got it. They understand. They do know. And, and how do we know that they know? These fragile disciples, how do we know? Because they are the foundation of the church. They are. And when the Spirit came, we could see the boldness in them. But not just boldness like Peter had earlier, but boldness with wisdom and knowledge. And they were focused and and going the right direction. We saw that in them. Yeah, they understood that's what happened. They got joy. That talks about your joy may be full. They got it. Understood it. So let's go through it. And so uh, this is 
they understand and they are leaning forward for more information. So that's that's the posture they're in. They get it. That's glorious, the fact that they get it. And even though there's still ups and downs, emotional things that they will have to go through, I kind of look at us and say the same thing. We understand, but yeah, there are some things in our lives that are going to be highs and lows. But we do know what our destiny is, don't we? So we can go through those highs and lows with the joy, the peace that is in us. So point B, even though they understand, and we know this from John 17, 8. Let me just read John 17, 8, just so we're uh, on the same page. It says, <clears throat> 17, 8. Um, there's more that you could read from verse 6. But 8 says, For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. So there, they have allowed Jesus' words, which are really the Father's eternal purpose, they have allowed that into their theology before they were rejecting it. No, no way. That's not the way it's supposed to go down. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. And yet, now they sit back. They say, okay, so we were not correct in the way we thought about things. That's not how it's going to go down. So now tell us more. So they couldn't wait for the much more information <clears throat> to be revealed. And that's what they got. So, but in the short term, they would fail. Yeah. They, they, and Jesus knows they're going to fail. The, the failure is sure. But their success, their recovery is also sure. And no matter what happens to us in this life, and we know from just even reading, whether death, persecution, uh, danger of sword, uh, whatever happens, you know, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It does not matter. And it's not saying none of those things will happen to us. Those things can happen to us doesn't matter. It doesn't take away from our destiny. What happens in time does not affect, for us, uh, it doesn't take away our eternal destiny. That's fixed. Not only do we have eternal life, but God, the God called us before the foundation of the world to a certain calling. That can't be taken. Peter says it was uncorrupted, undefiled, and does not pass away. It is forever. That is who we are, no matter what happens in this world. That's how we have to see this. So, uh, point C is, Jesus must go to the cross alone and cannot depend on those closest to him. But he is not alone. And this is what his resolve is. May your will be done. He is resolved. He, he is sure that that is what he's going to do, even so much so that he is able to talk about it as past when it's still future. He, he's sure that this is how it's going to go down because this is how he's going to respond. May your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. 
So he's got to go to the cross. He can't depend on those closest to him he, as a crutch. And, and that says as well, yeah, we may have family and friends and even people in the church who understand the same sojourn. They're on the same path we're on, but we can't depend on them. We have to depend on God, only God. At some point, they're human, and they may let us down. Their agendas may be different from ours. Their timing may be different from ours. We can only depend on God. We're in this world, and yes, we may find comfort, camaraderie, fellowship with those who are side by side with us, but we have to keep our eyes focused on God. And the Father's eternal purpose. That's because we can't say, well, we're disappointed. We're Because you know, those things are going to come. There's going to be times in our lives where trouble comes. Trials. Uh, things that we didn't expect should happen or would happen or could happen. And yet, they did happen. And we're going to have to go through it. And we may have to go through it alone. Just imagine Paul was thrown in prison. It was... Not glorious for him. It, for some, it would be shame. People would have departed from the apostle because he's in prison. And yet, Paul turned that around and said, no, I'm a prisoner for Christ. That's why I'm here. And whatever he wants me to do, if it's go through the prison, the mammotine uh, prison that they had, was sort of like a hole in the ground. And that's where Paul was, even to that point. So this is this is what we must do in this world. And it was it is illustrated for us by how Jesus dealt with it. And he says, It's not my will, may your will be done. Point D. Jesus will go to the cross in fulfillment of the Father's plan and be raised to life. This these are the things. He will conquer death. Triumph over Satan and the fallen angels. Succeed Satan and rule this world with a rod of iron. There was a lot of scriptures in that. I just, since we're in summary mode here, I didn't include them all. But you can read them in the notes. A lot of this is covered. But that is, in, in summary, what uh, Jesus did when he came. And I didn't even include the fact that he excuse me, was the foundation for the church. Right? He says, on this rock, I will build my church. So all of those things Jesus also had to do and suffer through a lot of those things. But yes, he did. He had to go to the cross. If he didn't go to the cross, that would affect salvation, not just for us in our age, but for the whole world. He, the whole world was dependent on the seed of the woman to be successful in what he was doing. Satan's objective was to uh, defeat God by defeating God's purposes of what he was uh, understanding at, at the time. He didn't know what the mystery was at the time, but he knew it was God was going to uh, bring salvation through the seed of the woman. But there was so much more that was accomplished through the person of Christ. And uh, he, he has to go to the cross. And no one 
would be able to go with him. So point E, we should be reminded that the world is not our home. And this is important for all of us. And it's a scripture at the end, and I think I just quote the scripture. Um, but we, this is what we need as a reminder. The world is not our home. We will be going home soon. When it says we, it's talking about us in the church. So encourage one another with these words. That's First Thessalonians 4.18. That's why we need that encouragement. If he's telling us to encourage one another, it's hard living in this world. It is tough. There's a lot of things that we could mention of how tough it is for each one of us in this world. But we have to understand what's going on. Again, with that knowledge and that resolve that we have, which is called hope, we can have peace even in the midst of the ups and downs, the turmoil, the things that are where the earth and the world is deteriorating right before our eyes. Some of us can easily say we could see the world caving in, like it says, wearing out like a garment right as we speak. And this is part of the life that we have. So what is most important for us? We know we're going to be going home. We know this world is not where our home is anymore. So all of our attention, all of our comfort is not coming from this world. It's not coming from the love of this world. It's coming from the love of our new home and calling that we have in Christ. So Jesus tells us, I have told you these things, this is point F, so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So as we go forward, you just remember, I have told you these things, Jesus is saying. In other words, there's going to be ups and downs, not just the disciples going through what he told them, but for us as well. Because we're walking in the same foot, footprints, shoes as Jesus had. We're here right now in the world. Disciples aren't here anymore. We're here. So what are we going to do? Are we going to listen to Jesus' words? I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Are you going to have this peace? Are you going to have the joy that is set before us? Like Christ had when he walked the earth, when he had to go to the cross, that he endured the cross? scorning its shame? Do you understand these words or these things that Christ have told us, has told us and are important to our eternal destiny and peace of mind? Because that's what we have. We don't have peace all around us. So we have the peace of mind that Christ has. But how did Christ have that peace? Because he knew what he the eternal destiny was. He knew what all of this was accomplishing for God. And so with us. In this world you will have trouble. Yes. He's not taking that away. And I look at some ministries 
And they think if we just would witness more, if we would just tell more people about Christ, then we would have such peace. We could turn this whole world into a Christian utopia. Well, we'll have Christian laws and and we'll get rid of the laws we don't like and, and we'll just have this world become an oasis of God. That's not the way Jesus has told us. That's why I, I think if there was ever a verse to put on your refrigerator, <laughs> I'm not really for those things because I don't want it really on your refrigerator. I want it in your heart. But if there was ever a verse to put on your refrigerator, it should be this one. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Underline that part because that's where we are. And then underline the last phrase as well. But take heart. Be of good courage. I have overcome the world. So no matter what the world throws at you, it doesn't matter. I don't, and I know there's going to be varied ways in which we all have to face the rigors, the deterioration of this world. But one thing's for sure, which is true for all of us, we all have the same resolve, the same love, the same hope in our heart about what God has told us. So we know, no matter what, we are in the center of God's eternal purpose. And God sees you. He knows what you're doing. As it says in the seven churches, each one of them, I know your works. Christ says, I know what you're doing. I know you don't think I see you, but I do. I, I know what you're doing. And I know you're going to have trouble in this world. So in chapter 16, we learn a lot about the Father's eternal purpose. We learn about his method of delivery. We learned about what the Holy Spirit will do as he brings the gospel to the world. This gospel is now uh, complete. Jesus did come, fulfill the Father's eternal purposes. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. He did come to bring the standard of righteousness so that uh, there is no law or anything that can, can bring righteousness. It is only through his work, his righteousness, while living a life down here uh, for the Father. That righteousness is imputed to us who believe in Christ. So there we have a lot of information about who Christ is and the hope is that we will understand our position and we will come to the full knowledge of what God's eternal purpose is and how it relates to us. So as John chapter 16 is gone, we will continue to have the reminder of the notes that we have gone through. Hopefully you all have that. If you don't, please let me know. But we will continue next week in John chapter 17. So buckle up. I know if your seatbelts were already buckled, just tighten them at this point. I don't even think you can tighten them now in cars, but, but that's what we used to be able to do. Tighten your seatbelt. Buckle up even tighter now because we already go into John chapter 17. And the significance of that for us 
is large. So let's close out with a word of prayer. Thank you, Father. We are privileged to be a part of this information, to be recipients of it. And Father, we are grateful for not only the direction, even though we may start off with what is important to us as a church, we thank you that the Holy Spirit is also always there to continue to correct us and to lead and guide us into all truth. We thank you for those who are here and a part of this ministry and have the boldness to be able to confront their lives uh, and judge them by the word of God and uh, have the resolve to come together over the word of God and not our religious experience or our past or who we are in this world, but who we are in Christ. So, Father, we are so grateful for all that you've done. Uh, we know we're going to have trouble in this world. And we recognize the, uh, even at the time where we are right now, we know part of, we have already gone through a lot of troubles, and I'm sure there are more to come. Father, pray for each person who is in pain and suffering and that they will come to realize uh, what you have told us here and that they will have peace. We can't pray our troubles away, but we ask that we can have the humility so that we can come to know you better and understand what's happening as uh, we go through this time in the world. So we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who has gone through this for us, who has conquered the world so that we can now have an example to follow. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.